We're there in Isaiah chapter 42, and I want you to notice, tonight we're not going to hit every single verse in Isaiah 42. There's so much uh, good stuff in Isaiah 42, uh, but we also have cake and ice cream, so I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can. I want to give you some highlights, though, and if you look at verse 1 of Isaiah 42, the Bible says this, Behold, my servant, I want you to make note of that little phrase there, my servant, whom I uphold. Mine elect, I want you to make note of that phrase, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. Now, what I want you to understand is that these verses in Isaiah 42 are actually quoted in the book of Matthew. And I want you to keep your finger there in Isaiah 42, but go with me to the book of Matthew. When you get to Matthew, go to Matthew chapter 12. When you get to Matthew, put a bulletin or a bookmark or a ribbon in Matthew because we're going to leave Matthew and then we're going to come back to it. But I I want you to understand something, and and I know you know this, but at Verity Baptist Church, we are biblicists. What that means is the Bible is the authority. We emphasize the Word of God. And you may ask yourself, well, don't most churches emphasize the Word of God? I'm not really sure what most churches do, but I do know this. Most churches today are a bunch of fun centers. There are a bunch of places where people go and they just get to feel good and they get a sermon and it's maybe one or two verses and nobody really ever teaches in the Bible. But at our church, we want to make sure the Bible is the authority. That's why we read the entire chapter before we even begin to expound upon it or begin to look at it so we can study, so you can read it in its context. Before I even give you any of my thoughts on it, you read it in its context so you know that you're not being misled. And the Word of God must always be the authority. And here's what you got to understand. We do not come to the Bible with preconceived ideas. We do not come to the Bible with, you know, I'm a Baptist, so this is what Baptists believe, or I went to some Bible college and this is what they taught me. We must allow the Bible to be the authority, and we must allow the Bible to define itself. So we take spiritual things to be able to understand other spiritual things. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 15 We are told, and in the New Testament, we find this passage in Isaiah uh, quoted, but we are able to shed some light on it in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 15, the Bible says this, but when Jesus, now I want you to notice that it's Jesus as the subject. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. So we're about to get a quote from Isaiah, which is Isaiah 42, what we read. Now notice, this is being fulfilled in Jesus. Notice what it says, behold my servant. Do you remember how Isaiah 42 and verse 1 said, behold my servant? Okay, so who do we know from Matthew chapter 12, this servant to be that, that Isaiah was speaking about? It's Jesus. Because it says, we're talking about Jesus, verse 15, and it says that the things that Jesus done were done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah. So this prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 18, Matthew 12, verse 18. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen. And by the way, that's what the word elect means. If you, if you go back to Isaiah 42, 1, if you can flip back and forth, he says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect. 
Okay, Matthew 12, 18 says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. Again, we're using the Bible to define itself. So what does the word elect mean? It means to be chosen. It's like when you elect the president, you have an election, you choose the one that you want. He says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I am well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. So according to Matthew, who is the servant, the elect, the one that was chosen, the one who's beloved, the one who is well-pleasing to God, the one who has the Spirit upon him. Who is that elect that Isaiah was talking about? And according to Matthew chapter 12, it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the elect. Jesus is the chosen servant. Jesus is the one that was chosen by God. Look at verse 19. It's the same reference as Isaiah 42. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. Verse 21. And in his name shall the Gentiles Trust. So here's what I want you to understand. The Bible teaches, according to Isaiah 42, that Jesus is the elect. You say, well, why are you bringing this up? Or why is that a big deal? Here's why. Go with me to, uh, let's see, let's see where I want you to go. Go with me to uh, 1 Peter chapter number 1, towards the end of the New Testament. 1 and 2 Peter, 1, 2 and 3 John, Jude, and Revelations, right towards the end of the New Testament. I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter number 1, okay? Because here's what happens. People come to the Bible, and they allow men, or they allow other books, or they allow, you know, other, you know, uh, institutions to define words for them. So they'll look at this word elect, and they'll allow other people to define what that word means. But we must allow the Bible to define what the words mean. Are you there in 1 Peter chapter 1, towards the end of the New Testament? 1 2 Peter, 1 2 and 3 John, Jude and Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to notice verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To the strangers, the word strangers in our King James Bible just means foreigners. doesn't mean that they were weird or odd. It just means that they were foreign. He says to the strangers scattered throughout. Now, I'm not going to talk about this right now, but I just want you to make a mental note of this. Scattered about Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithia. So he's talking about locations that are inhabited by Gentiles. In fact, he tells us that they're Gentiles because he calls them strangers or foreigners. He says, you're, you're not like I am. Peter, says, Peter would say, I'm a Jew and you are a foreigner. You are in Pontus, in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, Bithynia. Look at verse 2. Elect. You see that word elect there? Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now there is a movement of people out there who are called Calvinists. And these Calvinists teach that we do not get to choose whether we'd like to be saved or not. They reject verses like the ones that say, Whosoever will may come, or Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, or For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. When the Bible says over and over and over that whosoever wants to be saved can be saved, they reject those verses. When the Bible says, you know, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and God wants everyone to be saved, and God wants everyone to reject their false religion, to repent from their false belief system, and to believe on Jesus Christ. And here's what the Calvinists teach. They teach that God chooses those that he wants to be saved and then he chooses those that he wants to go to hell and it's God's choice and we have no choice in the matter. So they teach, you know, if you're, if you're saved, it's because God chose you to be saved. You don't get to choose to be saved. You don't get to accept Jesus Christ. And if you go to hell, it's because God chose for you to go to hell. These people take it so far, they even believe that babies who die, who were not chosen by God, will go to hell. And here's what they say. They go to this verse, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, and they say about themselves, they say, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And they say, see, we were chosen by God. We were elected by God. We were elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And it's a pride thing. I'm better than you. God likes me more than he likes you. God loves me more. God wants you to go to hell. God wants me to go to heaven. So he chose me and not you. But according to Isaiah 42, who's elect? I mean, when we come to 1 Peter 1, 2, we've already left Isaiah 42 a long time ago. If you start at Genesis and then at Revelation, and you allow the Bible to define itself, who is the elect according to Isaiah, according to Matthew? It's Jesus Christ. So who was chosen by God? Who is it that God loves more than anyone else, that God prefers more than anyone else, that God wants to choose more than anyone else? It's Jesus Christ. So in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, it is improper for me to say, hey, this verse applies to me. I'm elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. No, my friend, Jesus is elect according to the foreknowledge of, the Father, of God the Father. It's not that God loves you. Look, God is no respecter of persons. God loves you as much as he loves anyone else. And God wants you to be saved as much as he wants anyone else. But they'll say, see, you know, we are elect and God chose us. But here's what you understand. We are the one who is elect, according to the Bible, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Now you say, well, Pastor Jimenez, doesn't the Bible talk about Believers being elect, and it does talk about that, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But I want you to understand why we as believers are elect. When the Bible says that I'm elect, why is that? Is it because I'm special? Is it because I'm talented? Is it because I'm, you know, just so great that God just can't think about spending eternity without me? I mean, is it because God is so impressed with me that he chose me and not you? There's only one reason why I would be elect and someone else would not. And the answer is found in Romans chapter number 8. Look at verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Romans chapter number 8, verse 1. The Bible says this. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's eternal security. That I, you know, I, there is no condemnation. There is no way I can lose my salvation. There is no way I can be condemned. Notice, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are, notice this, to them which are in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Who walk not uh, after the flesh, but after the spirit. And he goes on to talk about the walk there. But I want you to understand this. For who is there no condemnation? For those that are in Christ Jesus. Why am I elect? I am elect if I am in Christ. Do you understand that? 
See, the, the Calvinist today says, I'm elect because I'm special. I'm elect because I'm good looking. I'm elect because I sit around in an office somewhere and read a bunch of books and don't ever do anything about anything. I just like to pretend that I study the Bible. But they're not elect because God chose them. If you're elect, it's because God chose Christ. And if I'm in Christ, then I'm elect because I'm in Christ. Christ is the one that was elect, not me. And there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in. Christ Jesus. Go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. You're there in Romans. Go past 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And you got the book of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. So the first thing we can learn from this passage here is that Calvinism is a false doctrine. Calvinism is a false belief system. Calvinism is a heresy that is sending people to hell and is killing evangelism because people are running around thinking that they're elect because of something special in them when they must realize that the only thing that's good about me is that I'm in Christ. That's it. And without Christ, I'd be, I'm a sinner condemned to hell. And the only reason that God takes any notice of me and the only reason that God gives me any, any favor is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 10. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Notice what Paul said to the church at Colossae, which I want to remind you were Gentiles. He says, and have put on the new man. He's talking to believers. He's saying, you put on the new man. He said, you, you were the old man, but you got saved. You're in Christ. You know, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, the Bible says. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And it says, And I put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Verse 11. Where there is neither notice. I want you to notice the emphasis of the fact that it's not anything of you being special. He says, There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. Here's what the only thing that makes any of those, you say, I'm Greek, I'm a Jew, I'm circumcised, I'm not circumcised, I'm black, I'm white, I'm rich, I'm poor. The only thing that matters is this, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Say, why am I special? If, 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 Christ, if I'm in Christ, if Christ is all I have, that's what makes me special. Doesn't matter that I'm a Jew. Doesn't matter that I'm a Greek. Doesn't matter that I'm circumcised. Doesn't matter that I'm not circumcised. Doesn't matter if I'm a barbarian, I'm bound or free. It's all about Christ. If I'm saved, I'm in Christ. Now notice verse 12. Put on, therefore. He's talking to believers. He's telling them, put on, therefore. And, and here's why you should put on the new man. He says, put on, therefore, as the, make note of this, as the elect of God. Holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering. He's telling us that we should act this way. We should be holy and beloved. We should have mercies and kindness. We should have humbleness of mind and meekness, long suffering. We should have all those things. We should put those things on because we are elect of God. So, number one, we learn that Jesus is the elect. Number two, we learn that the only reason that we get to be elect is when we are in Christ. Because the only special thing of us is the fact that we have been uh, put in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. There is now therefore no condemnation for those which are in Christ Jesus. So we learn from this passage that the false doctrine of Calvinism is untrue because we are not elect because of anything we do. Jesus is elect, and I am elect when I'm in Christ. And that gift is available to all men. But there's also a second heresy that comes uh, from this passage. Go to Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew chapter number 24. Now, 
I don't know if you've been paying attention, but we just looked at a lot of different verses. We just did what's called a Bible study. We studied the Bible. We allowed the Bible to define itself. So when we needed to figure out what elect means, I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't, know, I didn't crack open a dictionary. I don't have a, uh, I don't have a, a, a thesaurus up here. I don't have anything up here. I don't have uh, anything. We just went to the Bible and we said, okay, here's what the Bible says. Jesus elect. I'm elect when I'm in Jesus. And then we saw a bunch of verses that say that if you're saved, you're elect in Christ. Doesn't matter if you're Greek, doesn't matter if you're Jew, doesn't matter if you're circumcised, doesn't matter if you're uncircumcised. You could be a stranger, you could be a foreigner, you could be from wherever. It doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, you're the elect. So according to the Bible, who are the elect? Believers. Now there's another false doctrine, and it's very similar to Calvinism. I'm sorry, I told you to go to Matthew 24. Keep your finger there in Matthew 24. Go to Romans chapter number 11 real quickly. There's another false doctrine. The Calvinists teach that I am elect because I'm special, because God loves me more than you. But there's another group that teaches the exact same thing, and that's called Judaism. And they basically say, I'm elect and I'm special because God loves me more than he loves you. I mean, it's the same doctrine, just, you know, one of them wears silly hats, I guess. And in Romans chapter number 11, again, we already looked at a ton of passages that said Gentiles can be elect. They're, they're from Galatia, Pontus, they're, they're barbarians, it doesn't matter. What makes you elect is you're in Jesus. Let me give you another just clear-cut verse that proves that it's, it's not being a Jew that makes you elect, all right? Romans chapter number 11, look at verse number 7. Romans chapter number 11 and verse 7, notice what Paul says. He says, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but... But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So notice what Paul said. He says, Israel, or the Jews, did not obtain it. But he says, I'll tell you who did obtain it. The election obtained it. So there from Paul, we learn that the Israel and the election are two different things. He says, Israel did not obtain the election. The elect, they did obtain. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. According to the Bible, who are the elect? Anyone and everyone who's in Christ, all right? If you go to Matthew 24 and you look at verse number 29, we find a passage that has to do with end times prophecy. This was called the Olivet Discourse. It's found in Matthew 24. It's found in Mark 13. It's found in Luke 21. And at Verity Baptist Church, we take a position that we believe that the rapture happens after the tribulation. And here's why. In Matthew 24 and verse 29, the Bible says this, immediately after the tribulation, all right? It's pretty clear, right? Okay? Now, here's what people say. And, and, and what, what goes on to be described is what is known as the rapture. But here's what people will say to attack our position. Because you'll take someone to Matthew 24 and verse 29, you'll say this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Look at verse 31. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect. And here's what people say, Pastor Jimenez, here's where you messed up. Here's where, if you would have just gone to Bible college, you would have got this straightened out early in the dispensational class. Because they'll say the elect are the Jews. So see, this cannot be the rapture. 
When God sends out the, his angels and he sends down the trumpet, the trumpet and he gathers together the elect, it's not talking about believers. It's talking about the Jews. Don't you know the elect is a Jew? But is that what the elect is according to the Bible? Because the Bible says that you are elect when you are in Christ. So the elect is the New Testament believer. And we saw that it's a barbarian, it's a Scythian, it's from Pontus, from Galatian. It doesn't matter if you are in Christ, the Bible teaches, you are the elect. So you can't get to Matthew 24 and then decide all of a sudden that you read in a book somewhere that the elect are the Jews when all of the references in the New Testament say otherwise. The Bible teaches that the elect are those that are in Christ. So in Matthew 24, verse 31, the Bible says, He shall send his angels with a great trumpet, with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. My friend, that's the rapture. He's sending his angels to go find his elect. Who are the elect? Those that are in Christ. Now let me just uh, show you something different, about one more thing about this, and we'll move on to something else. Uh, if you can get yourself back to Isaiah... Isaiah, but I, but I want you to go to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. I know we're in Isaiah 42, but I just want to show you something. Isaiah 45, just real quickly. Isaiah 45. Look at verse 4. Isaiah 45 and verse 4. In the Old Testament, Israel was called the elect. And I want to just show that to you. Isaiah 45 and verse 4. The Bible says this. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect. I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. So in the Old Testament, Israel was called the elect of God. And here's why. Because in the Old Testament, they were God's people. In the Old Testament, they were following uh, the, the, the belief. You know, Isaiah was preaching the word of God, and they were following. Now, I'm going to show you from Isaiah 42 that they were already starting to go astray, even all the way back in Isaiah. But I want you to understand, in the Old Testament, in that Old Covenant, Israel was referred to as God's elect. But I want you to understand something, okay? Go to uh, Matthew 21, Matthew chapter number 21. And I don't know if you kept your place in Matthew 21. We're going to, make, we're going to come back to Isaiah 42. But I just want to show you these verses uh, so you can understand these things. You must allow the Bible to be the authority. You, you, you must never allow a preacher to stand up and say, here's what you must believe because I said so. I don't really have any verses. Here's what this word means because that's what I said. You must allow the Bible to be the authority and allow it to tell us what we believe. Matthew 21, look at verse 43. Matthew 21, verse 43. Here Jesus is speaking about the Jews. Matthew 21, verse 43. He says, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. Now he's talking to the Jews. He's saying the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. So here's what he says, what Jesus said to the Pharisees and to the Jews of his day. He said, you are not doing what I asked you to do. You are not bringing the fruit that I asked. So I am an investor is what he's saying. I don't want to get a, a bad return on my investment. So I'm going to take the kingdom from you. I'm going to uh, take the responsibilities and the word that I gave you and the different things that I told you to do. I'm going to take those things from you and I'm going to give it to another nation who will bring forth the fruit thereof. He said, I want to give it to someone that's going to do what I asked them to do. So you got to understand this. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were called the elect of God. But Jesus comes on the scene, and they reject Jesus. Uh, if you notice uh, uh, verse 42 of the same chapter, 
Notice what it says. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stones which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. That's Jesus. This is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in, his, in, our, in our eyes. He says, I'm the stone that the builders rejected. He says, I'm the stone. You're the builders. You rejected me. You should have accepted me. You should have believed on me. But you didn't believe on me. You didn't believe on me like Abraham believed on me. You didn't believe on me like Moses believed on me. You do not follow the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says, for that reason, I'm going to take the kingdom from you and I'm going to give it to someone else. And here's what you got to say. The only thing that made Israel special in the Old Testament was that they were in Christ, in God. And when they rejected Christ, there was nothing left that was special about them because they are sinners like everyone else. And the only thing that's special about you is that you're in Christ. That's it. There's nothing other, there's no other worthy thing of us except for the fact that we are in Jesus Christ. So you've got to understand that in the Old Testament they were the elect, but they rejected Christ, so then God so rejected them, and uh, they did not obtain. There is a new election, and it's, it's the same election. It's always been Jesus, but it's those that are in Christ. So just from those verses there, we can see that uh, Calvinism is a false doctrine. And this idea that, oh, the Jews are God's elect, no matter what they do, they are God's chosen people. No, the only person that's ever chosen, the only thing that God chose was Jesus. When you reject Jesus, you reject God. And Jesus said that all over and over in scriptures. Go back to Isaiah. Uh, go back to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. I've got some other verses written down here, but I'm not really sure. We'll look at them in a second. Isaiah 42. Look at verse 3. We're going to come back to this idea of the Jews in a second, but I just want you to see these verses. Isaiah 42 and verse 3. The Bible says this, a bruised reed. Now, a reed is a tall, uh, slender uh, plant that grows in water. And the Bible says, A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. Now, a flax is kind of like what we uh, today have, like in the middle of a candle. You know that, that wick in the middle of a candle? You put that on fire. A flax is something that they would use in those days to kind of light on fire. And he's saying, look, a smoking flax, he says, or a flax that's going out, that was burning, but now it's not really burning anymore. It's kind of going out, and all it's producing is a bunch of smoke. He says, a reed, but not a good reed, not a healthy reed, but a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto God. And here, and, and, and I, you know, I used to read this verse in Isaiah and in the Gospels, and I used to always wonder, like, what is he talking about when he says, a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench? But the answer is actually found in Isaiah 42. If you look at verse uh, number 22, Isaiah 42, and I know we're kind of skipping around tonight, but I want you to just kind of get the highlights. Isaiah 42, look at verse number 22. The Bible says this, but this is a people robbed and spoiled. Now, is this, a, is this a healthy people? Is this a people that's doing well? He says, no, they're not doing well. They've been robbed. They've been spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey, and none delivereth for a spoil, and none saith. And here's the key word, restore. Do you see that? See, here's what the Bible is teaching us about Jesus. Jesus did not come to this earth to find bruised reeds and break them and to find smoking flax and, set it, and, 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 to, and to quench it. 
He did not come to this earth to find people that were hurting and people that needed help and to just kind of deliver the final punch and kind of just kick them when they're down. He came to restore. He said, I want to find a bruised reed, and I'm not going to break that reed. He said, I'm, I'm going to restore that reed. I'm going I'm to try to help it become healthy again. He said, I'm going to find the smoking flax, and I'm not going to quench it. He said, I'm going to try to fire that thing up. I'm going to try to get it so that it lights up again, so that it burns up again. And see, you and I are elect in Christ. Now, the elect, the elect came to this earth to help the bruised reed and to help the, the quenching, uh, the, 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 the smoking flax. But we've got to decide in our ministry today, as we represent Jesus Christ, what are we here to do? What are we trying to accomplish? And I especially want to talk to those of you guys that do some preaching. We just had a men's preaching night on Friday night, and everybody did a wonderful job. They really did, and I'm not just saying that. Usually when I say that, I'm lying, but this time I'm telling the truth. They really did a good job. I'm just kidding. I never lie behind the pulpit. But um, some of you, you guys, you just want your cake. All right. The guys did a great job. They really did, all right? And I'm not saying this because of anything they said, because they all did good. But we've got to understand, what is the point of what we do? When you guys stand up to preach here, what is the point of what you do? Do you just, you, you say, I want to be a preacher because I just want to get up and I just want to rip things. I just want to, you know, upset people. I want to just tell people everything that's wrong with them, and I'm going to be the greatest, hardest. Or is your job to try to help people restore them? And bring because Jesus came. He said, "I'm not trying to find a bruised reed and break it. So I'm not trying to find a smoking flax and just try to quench it." He says, "I want to find people that are hurting. I want to find people that need help. I want to try to restore them. I want to try. See, when we stand up to preach, we must never water down the truth. We must always preach the word of God. We must always make sure. But here's the goal: we must always make sure that our spirit is to help people, not to break people down, not to just upset people because it's fun." Now, we, we don't, you know, we, I don't measure my success by how many people get up and walk out, you know, while I'm preaching and slam the door. Now, look, sometimes people do get up, and sometimes people do walk out, and sometimes people do slam the door, and sometimes they come back. But here's the thing. We're not, we're trying to help people. Now, look, if the Word of God offends them, I'm okay with that. If the truth of the Word of God offends them, that's fine. But Jesus did not come to break a bruised reed. He did not come to quench a smoking flax. He came to restore. He came to renew. He came to take. To, he, came, he came. The Bible says he came to give us life and that you might have it more abundantly. Look at verse 4, Isaiah 42, verse 4. Uh, here's what I like about Isaiah 42, 4. It's just a good motto. You, this was the motto of Jesus, and this should be the motto of us. Verse 4. He shall not fail nor be discouraged. Isn't that good? I mean, you ought to write that down somewhere. You ought to put, write that in your Bible and look at it every day. He shall not fail. Now look, he shall not fail. Who? The, the, the elect, Jesus. He shall not fail nor be discouraged. And when I'm the elect because I'm in Christ, I should not fail nor be discouraged. Amen. See, I, I'm so discouraged. I'm so depressed. That's because you're walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. Because if you're in Christ, guess what? Jesus doesn't fail. Jesus doesn't get discouraged. Jesus doesn't get upset. Look at verse 5. Thus saith God the Lord. That's not a phrase that we see a lot in Scripture. We see the Lord God a lot, but we don't see God the Lord. He that created the heavens, he's the creator, and stretched them out. He that spreadeth forth the earth, and that which cometh out of it. 
He that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee. And, and I want you to make note of this phrase in verse 6, okay? We're going to get back to this idea of the Jews, all right? He says, give thee for a covenant of the people. Now, he's talking to the elect, right? Now, we already established in the Old Testament, who were the elect? The Israelites. But who really is the elect? It was Jesus. And then when they were in Christ, when they were in the Messiah, when they were following the God of the Bible, when they were following Jehovah, they were the elect. Now, notice what their job was to do. Look at the last part of verse 6. To give thee for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. See, the elect in the Old Testament, the Jews, their job was to be a light to the Gentiles. Notice verse 7. To open the blind eyes, to bring out of the prisoners, uh, the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Look, when you're helping the blind, when you're helping the prisoner, when you're helping those who sit in darkness, do you know what you're doing? You're finding bruised reeds and quenched flax, and you're helping it get back on fire and get back healthy and get back right. And that's what the Jews were supposed to do. They were supposed to say, hey, there's nothing special about me. The only special thing about us is the fact that God has given us the oracles of God, that God, God chose us because we are in his Messiah. We believe the right way. And then they were supposed to go to the Gentiles and help them and preach the gospel to them to open the blind eyes. That's what they were supposed to do. Now, here's the thing. That's what they refused to do. Can you get back to Matthew 21? Look at, look at what it said. Matthew 21. They were supposed to, we were, we were having lunch, I was having lunch with uh, Brother James and Brother Peter, we were talking about this, uh, you know, were the Jews supposed to preach the gospel in the Old Testament? And I'm not, I don't know that they were supposed to preach the gospel in the same way that, that we were, you know, get maps and go out door to door, I'm not sure that they were supposed to do that, but I, I do know this, they were supposed to preach the gospel. And Jonah went out and preached the gospel to Nineveh. You know, to the Assyrians. And they were supposed to be this lighthouse. Notice, notice uh, Matthew 21, but notice they refused to do it. Matthew 21, verse 43. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation. Notice, bringing forth fruits thereof. Here's what Jesus is saying. You were supposed to be a lighthouse. You were supposed to preach to the Gentiles. You were supposed to be a witness. You were supposed to, uh, you know, preach deliverance to the Gentiles. But you refused to do it. You would not bring fruit. And he says, so I really don't need you. Now, here's the interesting thing. Go to Acts. Acts chapter number 26. Acts chapter number 26. The interesting thing is this. Jesus said a very interesting thing to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was the man used, other than Peter initiating it, Paul was the man used to basically bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So when Jesus knocked Saul off his horse on the Damascus road, he was initiating the gospel being brought to the Gentiles. And notice what Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus, Acts 26 and verse 15. The Bible says this, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? This is Saul speaking. And he said, this is Jesus speaking to Saul, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. Now notice, he says, Paul, here's your purpose in life. Here's why I appear to you. Here's what I want you to do. I appeared unto thee for this purpose. One of these days, I think I'm going to write a book called The Purpose Driven Life. I think it could be really popular. And it's going to be just one thing. Here's what you're supposed to do. To make thee a minister and a witness, 
both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things which I, uh, which I will appear unto thee. And I notice what he says, verse 17. Does this sound familiar? Here's your purpose. Say, I, I'm going I'm to save you some time. You don't have to read the purpose-driven life. You don't have to get the audio book. I'm going to tell you right here. Here's what Jesus said. The purpose of Saul and the purpose of the Jews was and the purpose of everyone and anyone who's ever been in Christ. Verse 17, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Here's why. To open their eyes. And to turn them from the darkness to light. Does that sound familiar? Well, Pastor Jimenez, you don't understand. See, in the Old Testament, God dealt with mankind in one way. In the New Testament, he dealt with mankind. It sounds like it's the same God with the same agenda. It sounds like God wants the same thing from the Jews in the Old Testament. He said, be a light. Preach the gospel. Turn people from darkness to light. He says, if you won't do it, I'll find someone else who will. He gets Paul, throws him off the horse. He says, you be the light. You preach the gospel. You turn the, the blind to, the, to see and those that are darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sin. It's the same thing. It's always been the same thing. Well, if you would have taken a dispensational class, you would have understood that in the Old Testament they were saved. You know, you can jump off a bridge. The Bible says that our job, our purpose, and here's what Jesus said. I have no need for salt that will not save us. He said, I don't need a light that's hidden under a bushel. See, you say, well, what's it, what, what, what is my purpose for life? Why did God bring me? Why did God put me here? To preach the gospel. Amen. And he says to the Jews, if you won't do it, I'll find someone else who will. And he says to us, if you won't do it, and I'm going to send a great tribulation to make you do it. <laughs> but that's a different uh, sermon for another thing. Uh, go back to Isaiah 42. Let me say this. Um, look at verse... Uh, Look at Isaiah 42. I want you to notice verse 1, just real quickly. We're almost done. Isaiah 42, look at verse 1. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Notice what he says. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment. Notice what he says. To the Gentiles. You see that? Isaiah is saying about Jesus that the reason Jesus came and the reason the Jews, what they were supposed to do is to bring judgment to the Gentiles. Look at verse 6. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. I will hold thine hand. I will keep thee and give thee for a covenant to the people for a light of the Gentiles. There's a, there's a famous preacher in the fundamental world. You probably don't know who he is. There's a famous preacher called Sam Gipp. And uh, he, he uh, preached a sermon against one of the DVDs that our church uh, took part in. And, and he said this. He said, you know what I never called Jesus? He said, I never called Jesus the Messiah. He says, the Messiah was not for the Gentiles. He says it's for the Jews. But look, doesn't it sound like in Isaiah 42, God is emphasizing the fact that the Messiah, the elect, the, the servant of God, the one that he chose was to be preached to the Jews and to the Gentiles? Amen. And he says, well, you know, because in the old time, in this other dispensation, look, You've got to get to the place where you allow the Bible to be the authority. Where you allow the Bible to just, if this is what the Bible says, it says what it means, it means what it says. It doesn't matter what anyone else says about it. Go, uh, go to verse number 8. We're almost done. Verse number 8. Verse number 8. Let me just make a big deal of verse 8 real quickly, and then we'll look at uh, verses, uh, okay, we're not almost done, all right? We're, we're going to look at a little more. But uh, don't worry, the ice cream, the good thing about the ice cream is that if it gets cold, that's a good thing, all right? So um, look at verse 8, Isaiah 42, verse 8. Notice what he says, I am the Lord, this is my name. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses like to make a big deal about the name of Jesus. 
and uh, hear of the name of God. And here he says, I am the Lord. This is my name. And uh, let me just show you this real quickly. This is just a good note for our soul winners. Isaiah chapter 9, look at verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You say, why are you preaching about all these false religions? Brother Graham preached a sermon about false prophets. It just got me fired up, you know. And uh, so, so if you don't like the sermon, blame Brother Graham. And uh, Isaiah 9, look at verse 6. The Jehovah's going to say, the only name of God is Jehovah. He has no other name. That's his only name, all right? But let me show you Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And by the way, false prophets are, uh, they're just, they're preaching heresy that will send people to hell. And the Bible says we are to mark them and avoid them. It's my job to help you know who to mark and who to avoid. I have to mark them. I have to identify them so that you can avoid them because they want to ruin your life. They want to destroy your faith, and you must allow the Bible to be the authority. So Jehovah's Witness comes up to you, and he says, God only has one name. It's Jehovah. All right, Isaiah 9, look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born. This is uh, Jesus. This is a prophecy of Jesus. You often see this verse in like... Uh, Christmas cards or whatever, you know. He says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called. Now notice what Jesus is called. He's a, he has all sorts of different names. You know, Jesus, Emmanuel, here in Isaiah 9, 6, we're, we're given five different names of Jesus. Notice what they are. Wonderful, that's his name. Counselor, that's his name. The Mighty God. Now listen. The only reason you would ever name someone the mighty God is because they're the mighty God, okay? Otherwise, it's just heresy. Otherwise, it's just, it's just you're a little too proud. So look, according to Isaiah, who was Jesus? The mighty God. What's his name? The mighty God, wonderful counselor, the everlasting father. You say, well, how can the son be the father? It's called the Trinity. You say, well, well, the father, you know, they don't say, well, how could Jesus be God if he's the son? Look, unto us a child is born, and his name is the everlasting father. You say, I, I don't understand. I don't understand it either. All I know is this. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. I just accept it by faith. I don't understand it. I just accept it by faith. You don't understand it. You just accept it by faith. It's what the Bible says. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. So Jehovah's Witnesses say to you, Gee, there's only one name of God. Uh, tell him to read Isaiah 9. Uh, let's see. Let's go to verse number, go to verse number 13. I'm trying to just get the highlights. Isaiah 42, look at verse 13. Isaiah 42, verse 13. I like verse 13. And I want you to notice what the Bible says. Isaiah 42, verse 13. I notice this. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar, he shall prevail against his enemies. Now notice verse 14, okay? He says, I have long time holding my peace. I have been still and refrained myself. Now I will cry like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour at once. Now, go back to verse 2 of the same chapter, Isaiah 42. Notice verse 2. He says, he shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. So Isaiah 42 and verse 2 says, he does not cry, he does not lift up, you do not hear his voice in the street. Brother James said that that's, that's why we don't do street preaching, you know. So we just go soul winning. If you want to stand on a corner and yell at people, that's not what Jesus did, all right? But here's the thing, all right? He says, he shall not cry nor lift up his, uh, or, or you will not hear his voice in the street. In verse 13, he says that he shall cry, yea, roar. And he says in verse 14, he says, I cry like a travailing woman. I destroy and devour at once. Now you say, well, are these contradictions? But here's what you understand. We are looking at two different comings of Christ. 
In the first coming, the Bible says in verse 2, He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. But in the second coming, the Bible says that he shall go forth as a mighty man, verse 13. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, and the word cry in the Bible is not like, you know, boo-hoo, okay? Boo-hoo in the Bible is weep. Cry means yell in in our King James Bible. It says, he shall cry, yea, roar, and that word roar, Usually when you see the word roar, it's always a reference to the second coming of Christ. He says, yea, roar, he shall prevail against his enemies. I have long time holding my peace. He says, I've been quiet long enough. He says, I have been still and refrained myself. Now will I cry like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour at once. Here's what you got to understand. It's two different comings of Christ. Okay? Just real quickly, go with me to John. We're almost done, I promise. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Look at verse 29. John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 1. See, we're looking at a lot of passages. I know, that's why we're in church. John chapter 1, verse 29. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 1, 29. Now notice, when Jesus came the first time, the Bible says, remember, we, we learned about this earlier in the book of Isaiah, that John the Baptist was to prepare the way, right? He was supposed to prepare the way for the first coming of Christ. John chapter 1, verse 29. Here's John the Baptist doing his job in preparing the way. Notice what he says. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Okay, now, the first time when Jesus came, he was declared to come as a lamb. Now, I'm not mocking Scripture, and I'm not making little of Scripture, but... You know, generally, a lamb is not something we're afraid of. Do you understand that? A lamb, the picture of lamb is a sacrifice. If you look at the Old Testament, they would sacrifice a lamb. And that's why Jesus came, to be that sacrifice. The Bible says he came to bring us salvation. He came to die that we might have forgiveness of sins. So the first time he came, he came as a lamb. He was dumb. He was quiet. He, 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 he did not lift up his voice. He wasn't roaring. But notice, Revelation chapter 5, last book in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 5. Notice the second time he comes, he's described as a different animal. Revelation chapter 5. You, you go towards the last book of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 5. Look at verse 5. Revelation 5, 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, Behold, the lion. Now, does it make sense that he says, I'm going to roar? Don't lions usually roar? He says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to lose the seven seals thereof. So here's what I understand. The first time he comes as a lamb, the second time he comes as a lion. The first time he comes and he shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. But the second time he says, I have long time holding my peace. I have been still. He says, I have refrained. He says, I will cry and travail like a woman. He said, he, uh, uh, and, uh, and like a, a travailing woman, I will destroy and devour at once. He says that he shall cry, yea, roar. That's what he says. And it's two comes. So you understand. The first time he comes and he's bringing salvation. The second time he comes and he's bringing destruction. He's bringing judgment. He's bringing wrath. And that's why it says in verse 15 of Isaiah 42, verse 15, notice what he says, I will make waste mountains and hills and dry up all their herbs and I will make rivers, islands, and I will dry up the pool. He says, when I come back, and you can read the book of Revelation, he says, when I come back, he says, I'm going to destroy this place. He says, the first time I come like a lamb. He said, you want to reject me? Talking to the Jews. He says, the next time it's not going to be so nice. He says, this time I come dumb. The Bible says, I, I, I come, he said, he didn't open his mouth. 
He didn't defend himself. The next time, he's going to come back roaring like a lion. And that's why it's our job to preach the gospel, to help people prepare for the second coming of Christ. The fact that he's coming uh, with judgment. Look at verse 19, and and we'll finish up. We'll look at uh, verse 19, and we'll look at one passage in Matthew, and we'll be done. Isaiah 42, look at verse 19. He's talking to these Jews who are, at this point, elect. They have not yet been rejected in Christ. Notice what he says, Isaiah 42, verse 19. Notice what he says, though. Because he's talking about his servants. He says, who is blind but my servants? And it's kind of weird because you think, why is he talking about his own people? But notice what he says. Who is blind but my servants? Or deaf as my messengers that I sent? Who is blind as he that is perfect and blind as a Lord's servant? He says, you're my servants, but you're blind. Notice verse 20. Seeing many things, but thou observest not. He says, you see a lot of things, but you don't really observe anything. Opening the ears, but he hear, he says, your ears are open, but you don't hear anything. He says, your eyes are open, but you don't really observe or see anything. Go to Matthew 13. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. We'll finish up right here, Matthew 13. Because I want you to notice, even in the time of Isaiah, the Jews were well on their way to become rejected of God. And when we say that the Jews were rejected of God, we're talking about the Jews as a, as a, as a people Obviously, individual people can receive salvation. Salvation is something that individuals do. Nations don't get saved. People get saved. But he chose a nation. And even at the time of Isaiah, he says, you, you're, you're blind. He says, you're deaf. He says, you, you see, but you don't observe. He says, your ears are open, but you do not, uh, do, but you do not uh, hear what I have to say. And uh, look at Matthew chapter 13 and uh, verse number 13. Matthew chapter 13 and look at verse number 13. Matthew 13, verse 13, the Bible says this, Therefore spake I to them in parables. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Does that sound familiar? Which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. See, what made them special was God. And what makes you special is God. And the only good thing in any of us is the fact that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And then we must realize that the only thing that gives us purpose is to do what the Gentiles were supposed to do, what what the Jews were supposed to do in the Old Testament, what believers, Gentile believers, Jewish believers are to do in the New Testament, and it's to be a lighthouse, to preach the gospel, to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Let's bow our heads and have a